Okay, so who's done with the Christmas shopping? <laughs> no? I mean, come on, no. Hey, we have something really cool coming up that I just wanted to announce, and that is that, uh, let's see, is this on? No. Okay. Well, my light's green, so I'll just talk loud while they try to figure out, okay, is it on now? Okay, excellent. There we go. Nice. Um, okay, so. Uh, on the 15th of November, we are going to do a special kids' night here, and it's going to be kind of like a one-day VBS, and so anybody who has small kids that wants a date night or wants to go Christmas shopping, you can bring your kids, and we're going to take care of them uh, from uh, 5.30 to 8, and we're it'll be like a fun program where we're teaching the kids, we're doing some fun things, so it'll be spiritually beneficial also, and uh, so... Okay, I, I don't normally <laughs> talk to the sound people, but is this too loud? It's too loud. Okay, can we dial that back a little bit? Thank you. Um, okay, so um, <coughs> anyway, so that's coming up on the 15th. You can sign up online to bring your kids, and you can also sign up online if you want to help. So there's a section for leaders, and there's a section for people who want their kids to go. So if you have young kids, though, don't help us. Go have a fun night. You just bring us your kids. All right. So as we're heading into this holiday season, um, this, this season is so full of opportunities. And this morning, we're going to be talking about being passionate about evangelism, having a desire to reach people with the gospel. And when you think about holidays, um, often we go hang out with our family and friends, and sometimes, like, family gatherings can be challenging. Anybody ever go to family gatherings and you're just thinking to yourself, oh, man, you know, who's going to get in a fight this time or there's pressure, things like that? Sometimes we face that. Sometimes we face difficulties. Uh, other times we just love hanging out with our family. I am so blessed with uh, just such a great family. And so uh, often on Thanksgiving and Christmas, our families get together. I'm not talking about just my kids, my, my brothers and sisters and and just our extended family is so wonderful. And so either, sometimes we have relational struggles, other times we just enjoy each other's company so much that we forget about the purpose that we have in life, which is to reach people with the gospel. That's God, why God put us here. That is the most important thing in anybody's life is where they stand in their relationship with Jesus. And uh, that's a challenge in our culture in general. That's not just something we need to keep in mind for Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays. That's actually something that we need to have in mind everywhere we go and in everything that we do. You know, we have a culture that is hostile to the gospel. Uh, people, it's amazing. People feel the, the freedom to express their views on anything. But if you're a Christian, wherever you go, you feel like, oh, I can't say anything. You know, we're in... We're in the United States, and there's a separation of, of church and state. So that means that since I live in the state, I can never say anything about church. And, uh, or people that go to school, teachers. It is amazing the personal philosophies and opinions that I've heard teachers freely express in classrooms. But if you're a Christian, there's this pressure as a believer. You can't say anything as a teacher when you're at school. And obviously there are those dynamics, but it's amazing the court cases that have gone through the system where uh, teachers, coaches, various people have been uh, punished for being vocal about their faith. 
And then that'll go to the court, and we have a Supreme Court that has said no. Teachers do not leave their First Amendment rights when they walk into their classroom at school. And it's like there's court cases that support people um, expressing their freedom of religion. But can I tell you something? If we lived in a culture, if we lived in a country where we did not have legal protection, if you lived in a country where you could be killed for sharing the gospel, do you know what you would do? You would share the gospel. It, it is amazing how we allow cultural pressure to kind of push us. By the way, that cultural pressure, that is not unique to the United States. It's always, that's always been the case. Um, think about Lot when he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He tries to speak against terrible sin, and they say, who are you to judge us? Um, so there's that cultural pressure. And um, we also have a culture that wants to seduce us, wants us to be people that live self-centered lives, uh, a culture that is uh, encouraging compromise, materialism. That's nothing new either. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because we don't want the persecution. Other times we don't share the gospel because we're just focused on personal comfort. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that the Apostle Paul was passionate about evangelism. And for you and I, we need to have that same passion. We need to think the same way. We need to have the same personal commitments. And so this morning, I want to read this passage. And uh, I am, it is my prayer, and this is true for me, when I read this, it inspires me personally. And my prayer is as we read this passage that you will be inspired. Uh, one of the things that is awesome is when we actually see people who live out the gospel. I was thinking about uh, probably about four or five years ago, I, I went to breakfast with some guy in our church. And uh, not in this church, it was a different church. And I just go to breakfast, and we're sitting there, we're talking about stuff. And while we're sitting there, he just starts this conversation with the waitress and ends up sharing the gospel with her, talking about her life. But it was not in like this weird way. He, he just was genuinely caring about her and just talking about his life and asking her some questions. And it was just such a great conversation. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, people think, oh, evangelists do that. Missionaries do that. No, the average Christian does that. That is what we are about is to share the gospel with every opportunity that we have. So let's read this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. We'll start there. It says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Paul has just been talking about how um, people who are ministering the gospel have the right to earn their living in the gospel. So that's what we covered last week. But he's just saying, I'm, I'm teaching you this, not so, you, so you'll, it'll be done for me. And then he goes on, he says, For I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? 
that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the, the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law I have become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that all, run, all the runners run in a race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So that, that very last sentence, we'll, we'll jump into that. That's the controversial part of this passage that so we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, but, uh, man, the thing that's not controversial at all in this passage is that Paul is passionate about the gospel and that we ought to be passionate about the gospel. So let's consider, where does passion for evangelism come from? Where does it come from? And I would say the first thing is this. Passionate evangelism is motivated by an internal reverence for God. That's one of the things that you see as Paul's talking about his preaching is he is internally compelled to share the gospel. And I would just say to you that if you are a Christian and you are living rightly and if you are thinking rightly, you should have this internal passion, this internal desire that just compels you to reach people with the gospel. It's one of the things I notice um, with new believers uh, when, when a person just becomes a Christian, it is so natural to just go share the gospel with everybody. I remember I wrecked all my friendships when I became a Christian. And it's like, I just thought, man, the lights have been turned on. I see the truth. I was living in a wrong way. I was valuing the wrong things. I was doing these things that just brought destruction into my life. And now that I've found Christ, I've been forgiven I've, my sins have been washed away, and I have a new way of living and thinking. And I just felt like, give me 20 minutes with anybody, and I can help them see all the stuff I just learned. And uh, so I remember going to my high school friends and talking about what happened in my life and talking to them. And, man, I just was, like, reasoning with them. And finally, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And, uh, you know, that is so common for new believers. They're just out there. They just share the gospel. What's funny is that we come into church, and I, I do remember, like, um, one time I was on the beach at this beach trip at my Christian college, and we're all hanging out, and some volleyball players were playing volleyball, and one of them hit the ball, went out of the court, rolled over to me. And so I picked it up, and I thought, oh, this is a sign. <laughs> the Lord would like me to share the gospel with these volleyball players. 
So I picked the, ball, the volleyball up, I went and I gave it back to him, and then I sat next to some of the people that were watching, just started sharing the gospel with them. And uh, one of the people that was mentoring me, it comes up to me afterwards and he says, you know, Roger, you don't have to share the gospel with every single person <laughs> that you talk to. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Um, actually teaching people, hey, dial it back. And, and what's sad is that sometimes in the church, we've gotten cold, we've kind of given into some pressure, and instead of having a culture that encourages evangelism, we can, in a sense, be something that slows that down. That is not what God intends for us as believers or for the church. And so this is what Paul says. I just want to read this. When you think about his internal motivation, he says, I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my crown for boasting. And this is an interesting thing that Paul's going to talk about his boast. His boast, he says, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, saying I don't deserve to get credit for sharing the gospel. I can't stop myself from doing it. It's like I'm not doing it because I want to. I'm doing it because I have to. But he had to. It was the desire in his heart that made him, forced him to do it. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do the, if I do this out of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So Paul just says, God's given me this treasure, this gospel, this truth that leads to salvation. That is a stewardship. And if I have it, I have to handle it rightly. I have to do the right thing with what I know. And uh, he says, verse 18, what then is my reward that my preaching, I may preach the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You know, it's interesting when Paul talks about um, preaching the gospel. Remember where he last week he refers to Jesus saying that the workman is worthy of his hire. Do you remember that? You want to know one of the things that Jesus says to the to his disciples as he's sending them out in that passage? He says, you got the gospel for free, so give it for free. So the Apostle Paul's thinking about what Jesus told the disciples about sharing the gospel. And so when Paul says, I want to offer the gospel free of charge, that's Paul saying, I read this thing that Jesus said, and I want to live that out. I want to obey Jesus. I want to honor God in my life by presenting the gospel free of charge. And I don't want to do anything that would confuse that message. So Paul voluntarily lays aside his rights, and that's the right thing to do. But this is Paul saying, I want to be faithful with what God has given me, and I just love and am compelled to obey what Jesus says. That should be the heart of every believer. You know, it's interesting when you think about that salvation and you think about what internally motivates us, in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, there's this lady that comes into Jesus to wash his feet. And the Pharisees are being really prideful and judgmental toward her. And they're actually saying, you know, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, uh, he wouldn't let her wash his feet. And Jesus just says, um, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. 
You know, um, this woman loved Jesus because her sins were many and they were forgiven. And one of the things for the Apostle Paul that just he thought about and that he talked about, he actually refers to himself as the worst of all sinners because he persecuted the church. Paul thinks about the fact that I used to try to force Christians to blaspheme God. I was there to vote against people, to have them killed for being Christians. In fact, the Apostle Paul is standing there when Stephen is stoned for sharing the gospel. And he was holding everybody's coats. And when he saw Stephen get killed, that inspired him and it motivated him. And he said to himself, watching this Christian be killed by being crushed by rocks is so inspiring to me. It is so motivating to me. I want to go do that to more people. And then the Apostle Paul went out and this great persecution broke out against the church. And actually, while Paul is on the way to Damascus to find and persecute Christians, Jesus appears to him. He sees him on the road and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So when you think about Paul's passion for, for evangelism, when you think about his desire to obey Jesus, he was forgiven for that. He was given a new life. And that's something that for each of us, if we're Christians, uh, you know, it's funny. He who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven little loves little. You know that everybody needs to be forgiven much? Like people who think, oh, you're really bad. I wonder if God could forgive you, but I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. You know, people who think that, they actually are not thinking rightly about life. They don't understand that the tiniest sin is infinite because sin is against a holy God. And so the Apostle Paul has been forgiven much and he loves much and it creates this internal intensity to share the gospel. And so for us, it's kind of interesting as we think about that. You know, that was true for Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees God in all of his holiness. He sees him for who he is. And he just says, woe is me because I'm a man. I'm a sinful man from a sinful people. And God uh, purifies Isaiah. He sends this angel with a coal to purify him. For us as believers, we're all sinful people. We come from a sinful people. We are sinful people. And it's through the death of Jesus that we're made righteous. And after he's purified, it's interesting because God says, um, who shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me. You know, he had this internal motivation that was driven by his view of God. Jeremiah um, was chosen as a young man to be a prophet of God. And in Jeremiah, um, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, I want, I want to send you. I chose you since before you were born. And I've chosen you to be an instrument and a spokesperson of mine, and I am going to give you a message. And your job is to deliver that message exactly as I give it to you. What I tell you, you say to other people. Now, Jeremiah, had the, he had the worst ministry, I think, of anybody in the Bible, because God tells him, you're going to preach, everybody's going to hate you, they're going to try to kill you, but don't worry, I'm going to deliver you from their hand. But he says, you better not be afraid of people. Because if you are afraid of people, you're going to be afraid of me. You know, God tells Jeremiah, you fear me. You don't fear other people. 
kind of what Jesus said, didn't he? He says, don't fear those who can kill your body, but rather fear the one who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. You know, Jesus tells his disciples, man, don't fear people. You fear God. And so uh, Jeremiah is told that. And then in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 20, you get this section where Jeremiah is just feeling discouraged. He's like, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, everybody hates me. And he's just thinking, man, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to share the gospel. I don't want, I don't want to deliver God's message. And then this is what he says in verse 9. He says, um, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am w weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Man, he is just so <laughs> internally compelled. And that, by the way, is something that we should cultivate. That is something that should be true of us. That is part of what the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life, is he motivates us to share. And we should not practice quieting, keeping our mouths shut, failing to share the gospel. You know, the fact is that the more you do it, the more encouraging it is. And, and the more you do it, the less you'll be afraid of it. Like we need to figure out what is the gospel message. We need to memorize some verses. We need to start, we need to pray for people. And we need to take advantage of every opportunity. You know, it's true for Isaiah. It was true for Paul. It was true for Jeremiah. It's true for all the other disciples. Remember in Acts chapter 4, they're out speaking, and the Pharisees get them, and they beat them, and they say, don't say anything. And uh, the disciples just say in verse uh, 20, they say, we cannot but speak. This is Acts, Acts 4, 20. We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And then they end up getting beaten and persecuted. And in Acts uh, 5, 41, they leave and they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering. You know, why as believers are we so motivated to avoid any kind of persecution or suffering? The disciples were like thanking God that they were worthy of it. You know, it's supposed to be true of you and I. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul goes and preaches to the church. You ever met anybody who just feels like, yeah, evangelism is for evangelists? Pastors are supposed to preach the gospel. I just think that's hilarious, by the way. It's like people feel like, oh, for pastors it's easy. And, and yet, you have tons of churches and tons of pastors that it's like nobody says anything about the gospel. They think, oh, the pastors will do it. But then you got tons of churches that edit their message and tons of, tons of preachers that try so, so hard not to offend anybody who comes. And you start to think to yourself, well, if the pastors are afraid to do it, and if churches don't do it in their ministry, and people are thinking it's their job, then who's going to ever share the gospel? So I remember um, I had the privilege of doing a funeral, and it was a funeral for um, somebody that Michelle used to work for, and, and one of the things I've loved about her jobs is that they've given us opportunities to minister and talk to people who don't go to church. You want to know what was shocking? So I'm sharing the gospels, a few hundred people in, the, in the, the location. There's hundreds more watching online. And as I'm sharing the gospel, I'm just noticing that everybody in that, that area, everybody at that funeral was locked in, man. They're, they were looking, they were thinking, they were focused. And you know what occurred to me? Um, I don't think any of these people have ever 
heard this before. And afterwards, um, there were just people that kept coming up to me saying, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. And these are people who live in the United States. One of the things I was wondering is, I wonder if there are any Christians that work at the company that they work for. Why is it that if they work next to a Christian for years, they've never heard the gospel? Why? Um, so Michelle and I, we walk to Mission Viejo Lake, and uh, one of the things we do is we're what we do it every, every morning, and we pray for all the people that we walk past, and we try to start conversations, and uh, we just wait for those opportunities, and it's really cool how the Lord has given us opportunities to talk to people. Well, there's this one security guard in this booth, and as we walk the lake, uh, we always try to be friendly, and we wave, and we were especially thinking about this thing we have coming up of dropping off gifts, and so we've talked to a few of the guard shacks, and Michelle and I are planning to actually bring some gifts from our church there, and so as we're walking around this, this uh, lake, we, we saw one of them, and, I, and the first time we went over and we talked to him, and I said, hey, you going to be working on Christmas? Yeah, we're going to bring you something from our church. And, uh, and every time we walk by, he sees us coming, <laughs> and he walks out to the road. And Michelle and I, we talked about it. We're like, wow, he really kind of likes friends. The fact that we're encouraging him and being nice to him, he keeps coming out to the, he keeps coming out to the, the street. You want to know what we found out as we started talking more? This guy is a Christian. He's from Ethiopia. And as we started to talk more, we found out that he's actually on the 11th of this month going to do a missions trip in Ethiopia. He's going to reach people and preach the gospel. <laughs> you know what he said? So he says to us while we're talking, he says, you know, she's more like the pastor than you are. And it's because that when we walk by, sometimes we talk, we're talking to our kids on the phone. So if I'm in the middle of a conversation with our kids, uh, one of our kids, we don't miss the opportunity to go over. So I will walk over with the phone and keep talking to one of our kids, but then Michelle goes over. And what he was saying is, how come she always comes over? How come she's always so friendly? Why aren't you coming over to be friendly? <laughs> and um, you want to know what else he said? He said that there was a guy who goes through the neighborhood, and he found out later he was a pastor. And he was thinking to himself, that guy's been driving through my gate for a really long time, and not once has he reached out to share the gospel with me or to talk to me. He's just thinking to himself, why would a Christian drive by somebody all the time without sharing the gospel with them? You ever think about that? Um, you eat at a restaurant all the time, but you don't ever talk to your waitress. You feel like, oh, man, if I talked to her, she'd be offended. Or the people that you work with, hey, I don't want to interrupt work by sharing the gospel with people. You ever thought about the fact that there are people that are surrounding you that want the gospel, that want to hear it? Or one day you share the gospel with somebody who's a believer who thinks to themselves, how could I have worked with you for six years and not known you're a Christian? We should have something inside us that compels us to reach out with the gospel. That's the Apostle Paul. That is what he did. And that's what you and I should do. Here's a second thing that really stands out is that a passion for evangelism is motivated 
by an informed love for people. It's an informed love that motivates us. We have a love for God. We have a commitment to honor and obey him. But we have a genuine love that is informed for other people. Let me read this. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free for all, from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He is willing to do anything to reach people. What, what motivates him to do that? To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. We'll come back to this. Paul is saying, I'll do anything. I won't sin, but I will do anything that's not sin to reach people. That's what he's, when he's saying, I'm not under the law, but I'm not outside the law of Christ. He's just saying, obviously, I'm not going to disregard what God says. And then he says, um, that I might win those outside to the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by some means, by all means, I might save some. You ever think about Paul's willing to sacrifice anything to save people? What's he want to save them from, do you think? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. So, Paul, here's the thing that we see. Basically, you could summarize all the things he's saying by that he has an informed love. And his informed love is that his love is willing to remove any obstacle from the gospel. He is going to be intentionally welcoming and friendly. You ever think about that at church? Our job is to be very careful to be welcoming and friendly to everybody. It doesn't matter who somebody is. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what sins they're struggling with. We are intentionally welcoming. We are not going to let, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I want to go see my friends. Oh, I can't be bothered with talking to you. We're not going to let that be a hindrance to the gospel. Um, Paul's talked about these things, so we're, we're intentionally um, uh, friendly and helpful. We set aside our preferences. We set aside our comfort. We set aside our culture in order to reach people. Um, how about the sin things that we set aside? We set aside pride. We set aside a selfishness. We set aside lack of love. Like, think about that. Going to uh, Thanksgiving. You go to your Thanksgiving dinner, and they don't serve the food you like. Um, or somebody, like, takes the best seat, and you're stuck somewhere else. Somebody is disrespectful to you. You don't get treated rightly. Somebody else took all the parking spots, and you had to walk all the way down the street. You're going to walk into your Thanksgiving dinner and say, hey, I didn't get treated right, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. Or think about that as you're just functioning in life and something doesn't happen for you the way it should. Do you have in mind, I demand that I be treated right. I demand that you give me what I need. Or is your biggest concern, I need to make sure that nothing I do or say would hinder my ability to share the gospel with this person. Am I going to get mad at something that somebody does and have a relational strain? over something less significant than the gospel, or am I willing 
to set aside my rights to make sure that nothing hinders my ability to have a conversation with somebody. See, that's what Paul did. He set aside preferences. Um, you know what we don't set aside? We do not set aside um, faithfulness to God. Oh, if I go sin, then they'll accept me. No, we don't do that. We do not set aside faithfulness to God's message. If I tell people what God says, they'll be offended. So I won't tell them that part. That's like the secret gospel. That's when we meet with somebody who's living a sinful lifestyle. Somebody who's living in rebellion against God. And we say, oh, we'll tell them about that later. Instead of sitting down and just saying, hey, God saves from sin. And here's all the sin. Part of becoming a Christian is that we turn away from our sin. And when we're looking at people, you know what? People's issue is not their sin issue. Somebody's living with somebody they're not married to. We don't go to them and say, hey, we're, we're trying to clean up your life. We're trying to help you be a better person. What you're doing is bad. Stop doing these bad things so you'll be a better person. See, there are some people that lead with morality, and they leave out Jesus. That's not how we share the gospel. We share the gospel, we're talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and that salvation and being right before, the God, before God has nothing to do with our works. It has to do with a sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But you want to know what we don't do? We don't leave out the things that it means to become a Christian, which is to repent, to turn from your sin. You're sharing the gospel with two people who are living together and who are not married. Okay, I'm just picking that as a random thing. It could be anything. And part of that is they say, I want to become a Christian. The next thing you would say in that first conversation is, well, what are you going to do tonight when you go home? Because God says that's wrong. And becoming coming to Christ means that you repent of your sin and you turn away from it. So where are you going to sleep tonight? We don't think, oh, Let's wait six months. Let's wait a year. Let's tell them about that later. That is not how Jesus ever shared the gospel. When he was sharing the gospel with people, his guy comes to him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says all these things to him, and then he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why did he say that? He knew that was the one thing the guy would be unwilling to do. And so he said, go do that. And it says the guy went away sad. Jesus never compromised the message. When he's training his disciples to share the gospel in Matthew chapter 10, he's in this same thing where he's saying the workman's worthy of his hire and give the gospel for free. When you get to the end of that passage and Jesus is talking about sharing the gospel, he's telling them, this is your message. I didn't come to bring peace, but, but a man's enemies are going to be the members of his own family. The message he tells them to give is that if you love anybody, Mother, sister, brother, father, mother, more than me, you cannot be my disciple. When he's teaching his disciples to go share the gospel, he says, whatever would make people say no, tell them that. And yet we have this idea, let's tweak the message, let's soften it, let's have it be this secret thing that comes to people later. And what you don't realize is that when we do that, People who make decisions, those are not real decisions. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, people 
repent. Remember Zacchaeus? Jesus goes to his house. And Zacchaeus just says, Jesus, I've repented. And he talks about all these things he's going to do. How he's going to go make right all the things he's done wrong. How he's going to sell half of what he has and give it to the poor. That's how Jesus shared the gospel. So we are willing to set aside anything that is a hindrance to the gospel. But we are willing to set aside nothing that actually expresses the gospel. Um, you know, a love, so we understand the gospel, we understand salvation. Um, you want to know something? When you soften the gospel, you're actually hiding it. Um, we don't hide the gospel, we highlight it. And I've told this story before, but I remember going to uh, this church in Las Vegas, and it was like this really big church, and I saw this guy, tattoos all over him. He was like really kind of a hard person, and there's a lot of hard people in, in Vegas, a lot of people dominated by sin in their life. And this guy shows up. He looked different than every other person. Like, he stood out. And, and so Michelle and I are visiting, and we're sitting there, and we're looking at this guy. And during the sermon... People are kind of like not really <laughs> paying attention. We're noticing that. You want to know who was locked in? There's this guy with all the tattoos. This guy, not, <laughs> we got people with tattoos. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, <laughs> you want to know what the message was? The message that day was God loves you and God doesn't make junk. That is not the gospel message. God does love us, but you're a wonderful person. God doesn't make junk. That is not the gospel. This guy is sitting there thinking, actually, I feel really guilty. I'm a very bad person. I do a lot of really bad things. And in my life, man, I'm just feeling like separated from God and I'm afraid and I, I know that like the, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness and the Holy Spirit is just making this guy realize you're a sinner and he realizes I am under God's wrath nobody actually even has to tell him that the Holy Spirit is telling him that and then he comes to church and the people on the stage are so afraid to offend him they say God doesn't make junk and he's sitting there thinking, I feel guilty, and I'm afraid, and what you're saying is not helping me. This message is empty. There's nothing in this church for me. i got to go somewhere else, because obviously this doesn't have the answers. We hide the gospel from people when we soften it. Now, if the guy would have got up and said, you know, the Bible says you have to be perfect to go to heaven, and if you have ever done anything wrong, you're under God's wrath. You will experience God's judgment. That guy's going to be sitting there going, yes, that is me. I feel that. And then you say, but here's the good news. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. And when we trust him, God says he will forgive us. He will make us righteous. He will give us the credit for Jesus' righteous life. He will take the penalty of our sin. All that guilt that you feel, that is put on Jesus. He came to pay the price. That's why he died. And that's why God rose him, raised him from the dead, is to prove that his sacrifice was enough. And if you will pray and receive Christ, 
It has nothing to do with your goodness. If you will put your faith in Jesus, you can be saved. That guy would not have walked out of the room thinking, oh, there's nothing here for me. He would have said, okay, that's what I've been looking for. But we have a world and we have a culture that thinks don't offend people with the gospel. You know, the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Or 1 Corinthians 1.22, for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the only people that ever get saved are people who God is working in their heart and drawing them. And when that's happening and you share the gospel, people hear it, they believe it, they accept it, they put their faith in it. They put their faith in Jesus, they trust him, they get saved. But we have this bizarre thinking of let's remove the things of the gospel that might offend people. That's actually the very thing they need to hear. So I had this friend, and uh, uh, he was a roommate of mine. He had lived a, a life of homosexuality, and uh, that was like, a, like he had been saved out of that. And, and we used to talk, and he would talk about sometimes how he just felt like that was hanging over his head. And, and even though he was a Christian, he felt like, you know, I'm never going to get away from that. I'm never going to be able to get married, you know, and just, just really struggling with just embracing all that God says about restoration and forgiveness. But one of the things he told me was he said, I was the most hostile when people shared the gospel or when people talked to me. I was the most hostile when I was feeling the greatest conviction. And um, he's like, at the times in my life where God wasn't working on my heart, people would say things, they share the gospel. I just go, oh, this guy's good for you. Glad that you believe that. I don't, I don't really believe that. Sometimes the things that the people we think are most offended are the ones that God is actually working in their heart. So, sad story about that gentleman. Uh, he moved out of my house a month early, and uh, he just paid me rent, but he felt like he kind of broke our relationship by moving out early. So he calls me, he calls, calls my message machine. He says, Roger, I'm really sorry for offending you. And um, if, you know, if you're okay with me, call me. <laughs> but then he didn't leave his phone number. <laughs> so I never called him. I was trying. So I found all my police friends, and I tried to get them to search for him and find him so I could say, dude, you did the right thing. There's no issues between us. And I finally found him about a year ago. And I, I found him because I was just, sur I just it's, that's been plaguing me ever since then. And what I found out was that he's passed away like several years ago. But he passed away doing a homeless ministry. So he was a, a person who just dedicated his life to reaching and caring for homeless folks. And uh, someday, actually, he now knows everything. But I'm looking forward to when I can see him and say, dude, we were always good. You know, this... Um, when you think about eternity, we have a love that is informed by eternity. Look at this. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. What are people saved for? 
You know, often we think, hey, come to church, you'll have a better life. If you do marriage the way Christians do marriage, you'll have a happy marriage. Are you depressed? Come to Christ. Your depression can be released. And, and, and we feel like, come to, Christ, to Christ, you can have a better life. And this is what I would say. You know, the Bible does tell us in Proverbs that there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it's the way of death. So we do a lot of things that destroy us. I mean, God's good, right? Um, and so he tells us how to live, and if we obey him, we're following the instructions of a loving, heavenly father. We are blessed when we obey God. You can look around the world and just go, people who ignore God, their lives are miserable. You ever see that? Some people. There's other people that are rich and happy, right, without God. Did you know that if coming to Christ never did anything to improve your life, it would be an absolute necessity for every person. See, people misunderstand, actually, what the most significant thing about salvation is. It's not like any earthly happiness you get. It is eternity. Um, Jesus said that, right? Don't fear those who kill the body. Fear, those who will kill your bo fear, fear the one who can kill your body and soul in hell. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul just says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. You know, God judges sin. And he's done all kinds of things in life to prove that to us. You know all the things you read in the Old Testament that trouble you? Like the flood? Uh, God drowned the entire world in the flood? That was just God saying, I judge sin, I give people a chance, and then I wipe them out. And then the rainbow. The rainbow is a promise that God won't flood the, flood the world again. And it's interesting to me that people who choose rebellion against God and defy God, their sign is the rainbow. It's like, no, that's supposed to remind you that judgment is coming. A rainbow is actually a beautiful thing, but none of us want to put that on our page. Um, how about Sodom and Gomorrah? God burned entire cities. How, how about the conquest in Canaan when God sends Israel in and he says, kill every man, woman, and child? And people say, that's terrible. How could God do that? And we realize that God gave them 400 years to repent. In fact, when Israel was in Egypt, that was God giving the Canaanites time to repent. And then God said, okay, your time's up. Israel, come on out. Go kill everybody. And it's like we're traumatized by that. How about Aaron's sons, the priest Aaron? Uh, how about Eli's sons? Those were priests. And what did God do? They defied him and he killed them. Um, how about in the New Testament? Uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, people take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way and God kills some of them. In 1 John it says, pray for people who have not committed a sin leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death. There are people who sin and die because they're sinning. There are so many things where God just says, I will pour out my judgment and my wrath on people who harden their heart against me. How about Romans 2, 4 and 5? Do you think lightly of God's grace and compassion and mercy, not knowing that God's mercy is meant to bring you to repentance. But because you don't repent, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment. Or Revelation 20, where it says that God brings every person before him. 
the small and the great. And he judges them out of the things written in the book. And anybody whose life, whose name is not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's where everybody's going without a relationship with Christ. It's one of the things that is, he tells us in Jude chapter 1 verse 22, he's talking about our ministry to people and he says, have mercy on those who doubt. And then verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. You know, it's, um, it's shocking to me how many people, like in the church, we look at people who live life with no reverence for God. They, they, don't, they don't have a reverence for God. They sin without any consideration of there's a God watching the universe. Uh, they sin against people. They hate people. We don't think anything about that. We have family members sometimes who live their life demonstrating that they don't care about God. They don't want to obey God. They live lives of sin, and they're happy living their life of sin. And how does the church respond? Some churches, some people. Oh, no, no, they're, they're a Christian. I remember when they were a kid and they prayed a prayer. Instead of going, what does the Bible say about what a Christian is like? And how many people will say, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons, do miracles in your name? And they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And one of the things I find is that when we look at people who with their life scream, I am not a Christian, and we say, no, 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 they're, they're Christians, I remember they prayed a prayer. Um, instead of saying, man, they need to be snatched out of the fire. What, what I find is often you'll get parents and family members and friends that relate to them, and they just think, ah, I don't want to say anything that offends them because they won't want to come to my house for Thanksgiving. I, gotta, I don't, I don't want to have a conflict over this. It might damage my relationship with them, might harm my personal comfort. Instead of having a passion and a desire. This person doesn't know the Lord. How do I share the gospel with them? How do I talk to them about where they're at? What can I do to snatch them out of the fire? There's no sense of urgency to reach them. There's only a sense of compromise to maintain comfort. Instead of thinking to yourself, well, they may not come to Thanksgiving next year, but if they get in a car accident tomorrow, they'll be standing before a holy God without the benefit of Jesus. It's worth offending them and not seeing them at Thanksgiving so that they will be in heaven. I'm not going to just be quiet to maintain peace and comfort. Like, why do we do that? We need to become all, pe all things to all men that we might by some means save some, and we need to be willing to talk about the things that need to be talked about instead of avoiding conversations sometimes about the only thing that matters. And Paul just wraps all this up. And uh, uh, passionate evangelism flows from a commitment to personal faithfulness. And he just says, hey, we all run in a race. We need to uh, compete according to the rules. I don't want to preach to other people and then be disqualified. You know what Paul's saying there, this passage? I'll set aside anything that doesn't matter, but I'm not going to sin because when I live a life of sin, that harms the gospel. But more importantly, it harms my relationship with God, and I don't want to be disqualified. So that's the theological debate. 
Is that saying he's going to lose his salvation? That word for disqualified is used in the context often of a description of people who are not believers. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think that's Paul saying, I don't want to stand before God and have no reward. I don't want to lose my opportunities to minister to people because I live a life of compromise. Remember King Saul? He's, uh, he's the king of Israel. He makes a sacrifice that God told him not to make. And then um, Samuel comes to him and says, if you would have obeyed God, you would have never lacked a descendant on the throne. But because you disobeyed God, you've been rejected as king. You are not king anymore. God picked someone else. And there are believers and there are people who forfeit opportunities because of personal compromise. You know of a guy who was a worship pastor, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, was compromising in his life, got terminated by the church we were at. And uh, after being terminated, goes back to the street, starts selling drugs, and ends up in prison. And uh, God worked in his life while he was in prison. He ends up getting out of prison. He came back to the church. He made everything right with everybody that he had struggled with. And you know what? God's using him amazingly and powerfully right now. But there are certain doors in his life that are closed because of, the, of his sin. And so that's, hey, you're never done, no matter what happens. But we should be diligent to be faithful. Um, hey, be passionate in evangelism. You got Thanksgiving and Christmas to work on that. Let's do it our whole lives. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I ask that you would give us a passion for evangelism, that we would think rightly about it, that we would be loving and gracious and merciful and sensitive. Lord, that we wouldn't just bash people with your truth, that we wouldn't be uncaring as we talk to people about their sin. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would never compromise your message because we trust our opinion more than we tr trust yours. God, help us to be faithful. Help us not to lose opportunities over Thanksgiving and Christmas. In your name, amen.